0: Hello, gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch. I'm your host, Michael Lilienthal, and here's my guest, Ethan Bartlett. Here I am. Say hi, Ethan. Oh, hi, <laughs> hi, Ethan. Sorry. Didn't mean to yes, jump on your line there. You gotta wait for my cue. I didn't. On.
1: Well, because you said here is, so I thought that was my cue. Ugh. I didn't read the... Wait, let me make some paper noises. I didn't read the script that you carefully <laughs> uh, typed out and sent to me using a runner
0: should have prepped you
1: (laughs) i was gonna say you used a a runner for the script because it was apparently a paper script Uh uh uh-huh i don't know
0: had him track all that way yep just to hand it to you exactly yep well anyway on this podcast we're gonna talk about books but we're not gonna talk about scotch even though that's in the title and books is not in the title yeah it was
1: a Pretty, it's a pretty confusing system. Now that I'm just thinking about it for the first time,
0: (laughs) for the first time ever. (laughs) Yes, we're thinking about it. Uh.
1: (laughs) Oh boy! Also, I like how we always say that, and then we do talk about the scotch like right away. We do. Like we're not going to talk about scotch. Also, the scotch we're drinking is also
0: here's the scotch that we're going to talk about for the next five minutes. And then we'll talk more about it later. But other than after that... After we've talked about bugs. Other than that, we're not talking about sketch. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I, uh, I'm feeling
1: uncomfortably no. self-reflective all of a sudden. Like, I wonder what other
0: things I don't want to know about myself I'm going to discover here. You know, we might, we might discover some unpleasant things about ourselves as we you know, usually we go through do. this episode. Maybe. Yeah, it's kind of... <laughs> That's, that's what it you know, so we've got those, those three sort of circles in the Venn diagram of our listeners. Right. Those who are interested in books, those who are interested in scotch, those who are interested in dark self-reflection. <laughs> Which, the, that is just the overlap between the, those two the over- circles.
1: <laughs> that's not yeah, a third that's circle, true. that's just where, what the
0: Middle it's Territory just is. just where those two meet. <laughs> Uh yeah, that sounds about right. it's <laughs> yeah.
2: good. Yeah.
0: Well, speaking of the scotch that yes, we're not please. gonna talk about, Ethan. Please please. Um the scotch that we're drinking is Highland Park twelve-year-old Viking Honor single malt scotch whiskey. I'm so excited for this one. <laughs> no, me too. <laughs> oh. Okay, so, yes, this is a lovely, you know, Viking box. Viking king box. It's it's from um, Orkney. Yes. Um, where apparently there is some considerable Viking settlement. Um, yeah, in, in fact, Scotland. like,
1: this is, you can fill out the space on your bingo card where I say something pretty authoritative <laughs> about, but preface it by saying I don't actually know enough to be about the topic <laughs> to be saying this. Um, as I understand though, like Orkney historically is almost not Scottish and not Scandinavian, or it's like equal parts, both almost like it's considered, I think, part of Scotland these days, I assume something that would be very simple to fact check, but I'm not going to, um, but it's like, it's so far North, I think in Scotland that it was like at the, the front of like when, when Vikings would come South. You know, it was it was Got like it. the first stop. Though mm-hmm. I want to say, and I might be confusing it with some other islands, Scottish islands. But I want to say, some of the history and archaeology that's been done on Orkney suggests that it was much less pillagey of a relationship with the Vikings than a lot of <laughs> points farther south. Partly because it was like, you know, the first the first uh, major stop on your road trip. So the Vikings kind of kept mm. it as like. a a land they didn't want to you know burn Mm -hmm. the burn the bridge so to speak they'd they'd rather have it as sort of a place they could go peacefully and rest and refuel and whatnot interesting you know how you refuel um yeah you refuel your your long boats yeah (laughs) (laughs) some more more petrol (laughs) um yeah Anyway, well, so as that's... I'm
0: opening this uh, this box of scotch, it's got this nice orange interior, and it's also asking me to join the inner circle.
1: Wait, you got one of those, too? Because mine also is asking me to join the inner circle.
0: Oh, man, I thought it was special. Well, so, I mean, we're both special, clearly. We're both, that's what it is. We're both special. Um, I love the design of this bottle so much.
1: Yeah, it, I, yeah I love it so it's, much. It's very lovely.
0: It's beautifully textured. <laughs> oh... See, here's the problem. Like, I'm I'm really enjoying the exterior of this. Am I gonna like what's inside? That's yeah, the yeah. Well,
1: that's exactly the question. Um, yeah, and all these all these Highland Park ones have this. They always make me want to buy them just for the bottle because they all have this beautiful like Celtic slash Viking like hybrid art and right? design and such on them. And then I mm-hmm. think I think I probably this is part of why I was so excited for this one because I don't I may have had a gone through a bottle or two back in the day but i i really have not drunk much from this distillery and i think it's always okay. for that exact reason is like is the bottle going to live up to the art <laughs> and on the off chance it doesn't i just can't you know which right if don't if, shatter that if uh, anyone in like the highland park like Whatever marketing office. If you ever hear <laughs> what I just said, I'm really sorry because, like, I don't know. I wouldn't know how to. Not that anyone will ever ask, but I wouldn't know how to solve that problem if I were asked. Right. Other than you know, it feels
0: like there's a a fine line in there somewhere between um over selling your product and like just enough. Like <laughs> you
1: know? yeah. But I like it, it'd be hard to say, you know. Hey, make your bottles less cool.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, make hey can we hey can we scale back like these bottles are really frickin' sweet. Can we scale back on the sweetness, please?
0: You <laughs> yes, know, like please make it make
1: it less cool, make it less awesome. Like that's I see. So you can't do that. I mean, I guess the the real answer is to just uh get me drinking your scotch once and hope that it hooks me,
0: right. Well, let's let's do that Um, But before we do that Let's uh, have your wife read the rules Yes I didn't open my bottle prematurely Hey
1: Karen (laughs) Come and justify my action, please
2: (laughs) Rule one Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink The scotch must not be mentioned at any time If anyone mentions it They lose Rule two no one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three. Ethan must never say the phrase first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four. Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule five, if anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number six, the wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number seven, if four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses.
1: And what happens if someone breaks the rules?
2: If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly.
1: Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle Gentle listener. listener. Thank
0: you, Karen. Thank you so much, Karen. Alright, now we will... one for my wife so keeping the rules
1: my wife went on a road trip as soon as she got finished reading the, the rules is how I'm gonna say that um, oh okay so I feel like I should just pour pour a little scotch on the ground like the you know like an old mm. Roman libation or whatever
0: right I can't decide where the Vikings would fall on that.
1: Like, I feel like I've read about them doing. <laughs> I feel like doing that's a that. thing. I feel like they would. Yeah. That's a thing. Yeah, like there were there were multiple ancient cultures that did that. So right. All right.
0: Well, with that, slancha, brost, made my delivery. If,
1: and now, if Sarah's saying about taking the garbage out, gets through to the audio. I'm definitely keeping it, by the way.
0: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. So, now that we have prepared ourselves, Ethan, the book that we are discussing for this episode is Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C. Yes. Uh, I'm going to just right out the gate. Did you just get robbed? I did. I did just get robbed. Well,
1: Uh, I guess this episode will be more fun for me than for you.
0: Yep. (laughs) Um. Well. Anyway, right out the gate. Oh, I was going to explain. Sorry, I was going to explain to the gentle
1: listener what just happened, but then I realized. Yes, please do.
0: I realized I would lose. Oh, okay. Well, I was gonna let you lose. Oh, I
1: see. Okay, yeah.
0: But all right. Sarah
1: took away something What's very up? precious to Michael. That's <laughs> that's what we're saying.
0: <laughs> uh, no, I didn't lose. You almost made Ethan lose.
1: <laughs> Which I assume was your plan.
0: Yes, that was that was the plan. Good good effort, dear. Good try. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, so yes, yeah, Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C. And right away, I'm just going to give our listeners a chance to read the book. Yes. So now, and, rather than wait <laughs> and talk about it for 15 for minutes an, or for an hour, um, but yes, Ethan. Did you have something you wanted to say yeah, at this point? It, it has been brought to my <laughs> to attention. To clarify things.
1: <laughs> yes, it has been brought to my attention that it's possibly a little bit confusing when we tell people to pause the podcast, go read the book, and then come back to the podcast. Um, and I understand that uh, because my style of humor is is really predicated on someone in the room not understanding that a joke has been said. Um, mm-hmm. which, you know, falls flat a lot because when there are only two people in the room and I'm not the one who doesn't understand that there's been a joke, sometimes I just come off like I'm not funny. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> the point was, which, yes, does imply that I am objectively funny anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the point being that... Yes, there has been some confusion about whether this is a joke or not, and I think the real answer is it's as much of a joke as you want it to be. Like, yeah, that's that's about right. If you literally, I guess I'm going to say it this way: if you ha- do or ever have literally gotten to this part of the podcast and paused it and gone and read the entire book and then resumed exactly from where you paused it <laughs> from this point, if you have ever done that, please tell me. Because yes, like,
0: please. Get in touch with the show. It, Let us know. so
1: awesome. Like, it would be great if it did that. it. But it's one of those things mm-hmm. you sort of say aspirationally, I guess, where it's like, you don't expect right. it to ever happen. No. So I don't know if that... Like,
0: by and large, I expect two types of listeners coming to it. Those who have read the book and are interested in the discussion about the book, or those who have not read the book and don't care to read the book. They just want to hear... Well, I let me let me rephrase that. They they don't necessarily need feel the need to read the book before listening to the podcast, yes. whether they plan to read it after the podcast or not.
1: Right. And I frankly like I think I welcome both types of listeners. I mean, at the level right. of podcast we're at, I can't afford to
0: not welcome any listeners, but um even so I like, I don't think I would I don't think it's rational to assume that someone would start listening to a book podcast and get to the point where we say Pause the podcast, go read it, and then come back and expect them to come to it, wanting to listen without being spoiled, (laughs) without having read the book. You know?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna assume (laughs) that that sentence made sense.
0: (laughs) It did. It did. I'm sure. Like, like this is this is me charitably chart that out for you. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And I will know in the edit. So Yes, you will.
0: You will hear it again.
1: And it frankly, if it if it did make sense, I might sort of re chop it up and scramble it so it then doesn't make sense so that I sound like I'm right in our exchange to stop. Because that's the kind of power I have as an
0: editor. It, it, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. You're you're threatening me with a deep fake. <laughs>
1: I don't think it would technically be a fake because it would all be your words. <laughs>
0: That's true. That's true. Uh, uh, but, I mean, you so,
1: you are you are holding the, you know, oh, I was trying to think of a chess metaphor. Because I'm not going to hit us with any more sports metaphors. I'm done with that. Anyway, <laughs> your pair of pocket aces is the fact that, as we know, I do as little work editing this as I... That's, feel I can get away with that's,
0: so. That's your chess metaphor. No, that, I, 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 not, I. Not chess, Mister Spock. That's I, poker. <laughs>
1: I, I, I. I was saying I was like abandoning the chess metaphor because I couldn't. Oh, okay. Think of one, but I wasn't going to go into sports, so I settled on poker.
0: So you got it. Okay, I yeah. see. Because well, right. oh, that works too. Yes. So anyway. So all that being said, gentle listener, go ahead, pause the podcast, and read the book, and then come back if you want to do any of that
1: <laughs> all right now you're
0: back Now you are back yes <laughs> so word. now we're gonna talk about it and we don't need to worry about spoilers because if you're still listening you don't care one way or the, the other you don't care one way or the other yeah that's that's more or less the point it's right. kind of just a gatekeeping spot for here are spoilers we're gonna spoil it yeah just be prepared for the spoilers exactly
1: At this point, like we've we've washed our hands like Pontius Pilate. That's right.
0: (laughs) Your blood is on your own head. Exactly. Um, All right. Now, Ethan, I want to just preface this book by saying it almost falls into the category of books that I wish I had more context for. Sure. Before talking about, Um, simply because of the setting. Um, and the, well, the, they're yeah, really just the setting and sure. the, the experiences that the characters go through because of that. Um, it's something so foreign to my setting, Right. which is, that's not exactly it because, you know, you can have like a fantasy setting that's completely, utterly foreign, but I wouldn't need quite that much context for it. You well, know that's. What I mean?
1: Yeah. And well that that's an interesting statement, sort of depending on how you're defining the terms setting, context, and hmm, familiarity. Mm-hmm. Because Yeah, that's fair. Um I've I've encountered I have encountered them, but I've encountered very, very few like fantasy or science fiction settings that actually felt completely alien to me. Um mm. And you know this. This isn't necessarily none of what I'm about to say is necessarily a bad thing, um, but you know, fantasy. Just just to focus on fantasy specifically, like the mm-hmm. the tropes of both like what's what's called epic fantasy as well as sword and sorcery, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: by and large, are built out of sort of a European. Um, Mm. literary tradition and also out of a, a version of European history, a very um, uh, possibly idealized version of European history. So that like
0: mm-hmm.
1: everything that's likely to be in most of those books are, are like concepts that I'm familiar with um, and that like as a yeah. as sort of a Western reader, I could be expected to be familiar with either from actual history or from like older stories that come out of that history like you know a wizard is a is a a stock character in many modern fantasy books but like Mm. you can just say the word wizard and there's a whole you know tradition coming out of fairy tales and folklore and um other things like that that like you know i have i have a lot of context for built in Mm -hmm. so like and this is this is actually a phenomenon i've encountered before but um both novels and nonfiction books that are set in history that are written by someone who really like knows how to uh sort of gets if, if it's in a foreign culture or a or a culture from the past like if they know how to really get into some of the ways that that place or time is, is so much different from the one that the book is being mm. written in. Like those can almost feel more alienating and more completely foreign than almost any like fantasy or science fiction novel I've ever read. Yeah, um, that's fair. This is going to be a weird comparison, but like mm. one of the, cause I, I, I agree with This is partly a long winded way of saying I agree with you as far as like the context feeling though i think I, I do think lisa c does a really brilliant job of um writing for a western you know mm-hmm. clearly american audience of right. putting us in there in, into that context and, and giving us what we need at least to understand the story like giving us a lot of that um in a mostly elegant way yes. there were there were a few bits where it was kind of just clumsy but um a little bit
0: i do want to talk about a little bit of that in a bit, yeah but i'll let you finish uh but <laughs> let you finish
1: but so my thank you my point is um or the or the, the comparison i was going to make rather is um uh the last book i remember reading that was specifically a novel set in a historical period um that made me feel this much like i had been it, it was almost like a what do you call it when you when you start to live in a foreign country and um oh culture shock yes thank you it, it almost felt like culture shock it felt that alienating yes. but also mm-hmm. like, that much like i was there uh the last mm-hmm. one i remember doing this giving me that feeling with was cormac mccarthy's novel blood meridian um oh okay which i don't you've you've never read that novel have you no i have not um it's it's interesting that mccarthy's able to do that achieve that effect because blood meridian blood meridian is set in sort of a an overall setting that's very familiar to anyone who's ever like watched a western film it's it's you Mm. know i want to say it's post civil just post civil war um in the west and and you know set during the the wars with the sioux and um is about a a group of of mercenaries who uh collect scalps from from various uh native american tribes and and them, which was a thing that happened in history um and so you know like it's it's a lot of stuff and a lot of setting and stuff that's like there's a built-out set of tropes available to a, a novelist or a you know any other writer who wants to talk about the setting but what mccarthy does is to focus in on the stuff that the western genre never really talks about starting even with the idea, you know, I I don't think there are any other Westerns where the, uh, uh, main character is literally a scalp hunter, you know, that's such a, (laughs) such a sort of gruesome and, and almost alien, um, uh, thing. Um, but yeah. And then, and then like he, he goes on to describe like there's, there's one bit of, of scenery where, these guys are, are riding across the plains and dotting the horizon are bone fires because the U.S. Army is systematically mm. slaughtering the buffalo so that the Sioux wouldn't have, you know, a source of um, food because basically mm-hmm. and this is again something from actual history, the, the Sioux were such effective fighters that the U.S. military couldn't defeat them in battle or they, they came to think that they couldn't so they went as far as Wiping out an entire, you know, a- like species of animal in order to mm-hmm. try to starve them to death, and you know right. that it, that that feels so alien to like the culture that we live in now, even though it's, right. it's directly part of our heritage. And I, I, you know, we're obviously not reading Blood Meridian. Um, no, this is yeah. not a Blood Meridian podcast yet. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but again, like Lisa C here has done. A similar thing in that she sort of, a lot of the effect of reading this novel was to sort of drop me into a culture that, you know, if I were whatever, you know, magic treehouse into this culture, I, even Mm. if I somehow spoke the language, like, I feel like I would have no context and Mm -hmm. no bearings to
0: operate within it. Um, Right, I would be uh, immediately shunned if not murdered. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Is part of this culture uh just like yeah i mean the just there besides the language and that's something that's um interesting just in general here too the new shoe language yes um the written language and all that um but then uh like there's the cultural language itself the, the language of etiquette and honor and all of those things where like it gets put in here in these different ways where you see if the the narrator Lily is saying something like if I had done this um, or if I didn't do this, then I would bring shame upon my whole family. Right. And, you know, it's like, "Wow, I never would have thought that that was a necessary thing. But OK, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's uh, tied right into what I wanted to mention about. Um, Lisa C. introducing us to that, and that's just this concept that, you know, when you go into this foreign setting, um, and it's, it, it's really prevalent in fantasy or sci-fi type things, um, where you've got that foreign setting, something that we are not familiar with, we might be familiar with some of the tropes, as you mentioned, um, but usually you need some method of guiding the reader through yes. the world right. to understand the rules, uh, to know what all of that is. And so Lisa C is doing that, and it's an interesting way. You mentioned that some of it is is a little awkward and clunky, and we can talk about some of that. Yeah. But what's interesting to me is what you find out at the very end um, about the intended audience of the narrative. Right. Th- that this is Lily's... Sort of autobiography written to Herself. Snowflower. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. Um, who has died. Right. Um, what, 40 plus years ago? Right. Something like that. Um,
1: I mean, that's, and, that's actually right at the beginning of the book, too. Is it? Yeah, in the very first section and i'm getting into dangerous territory here but um (laughs) uh you have the the section or the it's almost like a prologue though it's not denoted as a prologue but sitting quietly right at Mm. the start um the very last paragraph of that uh let my words explain my actions to my ancestors to my husband but most of all to snowflower before i greet them again oh okay Uh, well in fact the beginning of that paragraph says i'm writing these pages for those who reside in in the afterworld
0: Mm, okay yeah i didn't i guess make that uh bookended connection but um well i I guess i I understood that when i first read it as like uh, uh a sort of atonement toward those ne- not without necessarily addressing so it's like oh so you you
1: you took i write this for less literally than you sort of know to by well, the end.
0: it's a it's it's a grammatical question right. about what that for means right is it is that for the the indirect object right. for like to writing it to them or is that for meaning for the benefit of right um or and even, so that's what i'm Understood it as you could even
1: have it for it f- the for as in like because of or like I'm I'm right. here to write this so I'm writing it you know because of them yeah because of their memory or something like that but no right, no right and that like literally writing it to them
0: for them yes it's for them for the she's giving to the it audience. to them yeah which like you know if you, if you keep that last paragraph of the first little chapter section thing in mind as you're reading and then you get to parts where like things are burned with people so that it goes along with them and stuff sure. you should understand that you should be able to pick up on exactly that i didn't <laughs> until the end oh, well. um so there's there's my admission of guilt well um, i mean that's this that's always... podcast you can kick me off if you want me to but no. wow that's that's a really powerful <laughs> sword you've put in my hands i'll have to to think about that. You will have to change the name of the podcast or find oh, another right. suitable yeah. Michael. And either of those is so much
1: work, <laughs> so I, I probably will let you stay. Um well, thank you. You notice I said probably, just to set up like probably. a you know, good work, Wesley, I'll most likely kill you in the morning. Um Yeah, I know. Uh anyway. Um Oh, I, well no, I was gonna say, like, as far as your admission of guilt, like this is why we always say we intend to read every book again. Like if we like a book on this podcast, it's another one of those, you know, Michael and Ethan bingo sheet, uh, things where it's like, Mm -hmm. if we like a book on this podcast, we, you know, almost always on somewhere on the episodes where we discuss it, we'll say, I want to reread it. And it's because of things like Mm -hmm. this, because the, the experience of reading a book a second time, um, is inherently different but if it's a if it's a good book that's that's worthwhile um usually it's different in in a lot of really interesting ways um so Mm -hmm. you know you just like that's that's sort of this is really sort of a classic example of, of why why people who really love you know literature are always talking about rereading things or reading them multiple times because it's like, mm-hmm. you re- you reading that first section for the first time, you couldn't know what the conclusion of that ambiguity was, what what version right. 4 she meant. Um, right. Well, so and, I, I mean,
0: there, there are hints even at the end of that paragraph, too, that, like, let my words explain my actions to my ancestors, right. to my husband, but most of all to Snowflower before I greet them again. So, like... There is some of that explicitly there, but it's right. also again this totally foreign context right. that um, I wouldn't necessarily get the full idea of until I read the book.
1: Well, and I'll admit I, um, when I read this 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 first section, I uh, I didn't I didn't sort of think about the idea that this is this is written for my ancestors or with them even as my audience um what i hooked mm-hmm. on to is the idea that uh my grandson's wife has promised to make sure that these pages are burned at my death um oh sure so i, I hooked on to that more so um and oh sure th- so throughout what i was keeping in mind was much more that uh you know i, I sort of i sort of lost track of the idea that this was for these these dead who have gone before but um i was keeping in mind that this was basically her writing to herself functionally speaking mm. it was you know her ex- effectively almost yeah. you know that that Walt Whitman thing of i'm explaining myself to myself um yeah and i don't think that that's you know first of all it's that that if i'm right about that and you know i might argue that i'm that that was uh an incomplete understanding of what was going on um but you know that's that seems not inherently invalid to me at all like Hmm. uh, a lot of writers talk about writing to find out what they think that you don't necessarily Mm -hmm. understand something until it's until it's written down even though it's been in your head so you know the idea of a woman at the end of her life trying to write out this whatever the story is and to to figure it out and reason it out as well as that thing that we always say about, you know, a a text is, uh, or a a novel is um, a version of courtroom uh, testimony like this, this, that, that, uh, that last paragraph there is like one of the clearest ways that I've ever seen that written into the text of a novel. Like, you know, so right.
0: And it's like a different shade of that too. It's, it's a, it's a defense testimony with an explicit, Audience, yeah, defense testimony looking to for the t- justification in the afterworld. Yeah, right. The defense
1: testimony to the ancestors. Um, yeah,
0: which is interesting,
1: you know, because it certainly it certainly goes to, uh, um, you know, Chinese Chinese uh, culture and and religious stuff that I certainly am not at all qualified to to really talk about. No, but, um, <laughs> but it's an interesting parallel to christianity too because you know in, in christianity mm. there's often in in especially medieval theology though before and after as well there's always there's a lot of courtroom style talk you know justification and and uh, right so forth and you know i'm not trying to claim that claim anything really i, I just thought that was an interesting parallel
0: it is, it is just an interesting parallel right there that that's that's what's being sought through this yeah that's that is is similar sort of
1: something about that religious impulse maybe crosses cultures and um yeah but maybe it's part of human nature to feel that you know as you near the end of your life that it's the people who went before you that will be judging you you know that there's there's something inherently inherently
0: human in that feeling okay um here's a here's a question for you yeah that maybe we'll, will I wasn't intending necessarily to ask this question, but it occurred to me just now. Sure. Um, as you mentioned, you know, as you feel yourself coming to the end of your life, you feel that that sort of need to do that. Why did Lily wait until she was in her eighties to write this down? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Um,
1: and I don't know that I necessarily have an answer. Um,
0: I wouldn't expect you to have an answer. Just but, like I mean, there's something about that that's like I don't know. I think, and I'm what I'm
1: struggling to come up with is examples for the thing I want to claim, which is that mm. there are you know examples of people in real life who have written you know memoirs or autobiographies. Towards the end of their lives when whatever they were famous for or known for happened much earlier. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that there's a there's another very human, you know, idea to wanting to leave some record behind. Or to just sort of resolve or figure out something that has gone before you in life. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you know, that, I don't know, it's, it's like your last chance to figure out what you what the heck happened here? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, that, that, again, feels... I can't think of any good examples to back it up, but it feels like a, another very human, very, very uh, mm-hmm. human nature-based uh, impulse.
0: Sure. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm wondering about this, too, because there's something else that uh, stuck out to me that I don't know if I saw fully explained. Sure. On... In uh, my copy, it's on page two fifty two, right at the top. It's it's the second page from the end of the novel proper, Um, and it says all of that is in my official autobiography, um, where she's just talking about um, her husband, her her husband and uh, his life and all that, Um, and so that I don't does does it explain the fact that she has an official autobiography anywhere else i don't not that i recall and and is that referring to so that's that's a a term that if it were like a political figure or a celebrity in our context that would mean something specific but in this context i'm wondering is that referring to a new shoe autobiography that again is going to be burned with her
1: um my suspicion and I, I know even less about Chinese history than I do about like mm-hmm. almost any other, you know, major area of history. I know I've read a little bit about it. I know a little bit about it, and um, mm. I, I want to say that, uh, China China has a long history of people in basically positions of any status. Um, just writing down an official sort of account of their life. Sure. Um, Because Chinese, you know, Chinese, uh, regimes, Chinese governments, uh, um, stretching far back into history have been, you know, major paper, you know, paper Mm. governments in in the sense that they keep records Mm -hmm. and accounts and, you know, uh, literature, you know, has, has always been huge, you know, dating, Mm way back into into history um, to the point that, like, I was just listening to uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History about the Mongols, and mm. there was some sentence he said where basically at some point the Mongols disappear because they weren't in touch with anybody and they didn't have writing, and then when they reappear, it's in China, and now we have all kinds of records of what what they did and where they went because the Chinese mm-hmm. were so thorough about documentation um mm-hmm. So, I want to say that it, it was just like a custom to um, write down, you know, write sort of everyone who had any kind of uh, status, um, you know, mm-hmm. like. Which she did. Which she, she does, yeah, because she's the. Lady Lou. Right. One. That I think they just sort of wrote an official autobiography sort of saying. I am this person. I, I was married to such and so. I fathered yeah. these, or I mothered these children, um, and any Fair. other you know major, um, uh, major things that they wanted to talk about or whatever. I think that was just sort of a mm-hmm. tradition, or a, or a practice. Okay. Um, and I, I could be wrong even about that, and I don't know any more than that. And I did just. No, I think that's. That's fair. Trying to do five seconds of research, I did just Google Chinese official autobiography, and I got nothing that was helpful <laughs> enough for me to read out on the record here. But um, that's, that's honestly my best guess. And I think... That's all right. Um, I, I don't think it was written in Nushu, because I think the the specific... Yeah. Um, first of all, anything using the word official there really tells me that it was for some kind of record-keeping, some kind of government-related thing. Mm. And so that wouldn't be written in New Shoe. Um, yeah. But, uh, and, and also just the fact that, like, she's basically, you know, this is, this is um, in a sense, it's like a secret history. Like, that's, you know, kind of a loaded, ambiguous term, but it's like, this book is like us getting the secret side that, that you would never... Mm. Um, you know, you'd never, like, public You wouldn't publish, as as uh, uh, the main character of this book, you would never publish Snowflower and the Secret Fan thinking it had an audience of real people. And I, I think what I'm getting is that the the contrast is between that and her official autobiography, which is what you do tell people. Like, that's, that's for public consumption. Got it.
0: That makes a lot of sense to me, and that's more or less what I was intuiting about what that meant that that was something public and this is something private um but
1: yeah yeah. that's that's really all i've all i've gotten most of that's just guesswork anyway
0: sure um oh so i want to tie yeah um well
1: i'll 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 uh say what the thought i had and you can decide if my thing or your thing okay. is, is more natural, but I was wanting to, because we, we got into, um, some of the discussion we just had based on talking about, um, uh, sort of world building and, and, uh, mm-hmm. information in the derogatory term that gets used, at least in fantasy and science fiction is like information dumping. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, and, uh, or info dumping. Which is, like, basically where you, you know, you have, it's, it's the cheesy version. You've seen it in bad movies, too. It's the cheesy version of, like, of introducing your audience to the world. It's like, right to me, to me any, any dialogue that begins with the phrase, as you know, um, uh-huh. is vulnerable to this. Like, it's where, you know, it's the beginning of the science fiction movie and you've got two officers on a, on the deck of a uh-huh. spaceship and the one says the other one, as you know, we've been at war with the Vorgons for 75 years and they just took a major system from us. And, you know, and it's like four paragraphs of dialogue. Did,
0: did you just invent the sci-fi version of that play by Henrik Ibsen? Which one was that? Is that? Oh, it's not. Uh, is it Dollhouse? What is it? it might be doll's house I, I don't know but like it, that's famous for that really bad exposition oh, right I'd for- at the beginning i would actually forgot where about you've got that. two painters on a house who are just explaining everything <laughs> coming up to this point oh yeah and there's and no reason for them to have that dialogue except to explain it to the audience yeah and they're, and so they're that's saying like, things like broadly speaking it's exposition right they're, they're saying, saying things
1: like, like oh it's i hear that mrs so and so mistress of the house is having a birthday <laughs> Uh, yep. <laughs> I, I hope they don't have a big fight this year again. I read yep. I read Ibsen last when I was like fourteen, so I, I actually vaguely remember the scene you're talking about. But yeah,
0: uh, he's got better stuff. He, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah. So okay, so w- there there is some of that in this, and like some of it is clunky. Yes, um, where she does actually use that phrase, as you know, right. And, like, as soon as you say that, I'm hearing Dr. Hannah's voice in my head. When you say, as you know, don't say what you're about to right. say. You don't need to. Yeah. I think that was something uh, that uh,
1: uh, Pete Bladel also drilled into us in playwriting yeah. class. Yeah. I think he almost mm-hmm. literally said that sentence or something very similar where it's like if you have dialogue in a play that begins with as you know, that character should not be saying that to the character that they're saying yep. it to. Because
0: <laughs> yep. it's like if exactly. they both know it, they would not say it. Yeah. They would not say it. And that's it. they would not say yeah.
1: it. Yeah. When when I when, it, when I mention clunky bits in here, yeah. that's basically what I'm talking about is there are a few parts, <laughs> especially right at the beginning, where basically Lily explains Something to the reader that I mm. think her reader would know if her reader is either either way if her reader is herself, Snowflower. or if it's Snowflower and, and the other uh, okay. um, ones who passed on. There's just certain things where it's like this. This was a major festival in our country, or something like that, where it's like it would be yep. like me, you know, writing a book to you and explaining what the Fourth of July was like yeah we would just both know. <laughs> sure now however i'm i'm willing to grant lisa see a little bit more sl- slack or benefit of the doubt than i would normally mm-hmm. give in a similar si- situation because some of those places and i guess i should have marked them if i was gonna bring it up and complain mm. about it but some of the places <laughs> looking back on it it was more like i could read it as uh lily explaining to herself or reminding herself of the context okay. especially if some of it was stuff that was like maybe lost in in the, the war the rebellion or simply stuff mm-hmm. that had gone out of fashion in 80 years of of life or something like that where she was maybe maybe reminding herself about it in order to consider it um and the second way i'm, I'm willing to cut lisa c slack is like for some of it, I'm like, I, I don't know how you'd convey that information mm,
0: mm-hmm. in a
1: not clunky way that didn't either risk alienating your readers or losing a bunch of them, or um, just that was even clunky or something, you know, it was much more, took a lot more time or, or space or whatever. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it's like, I think uh, some writers talk about the idea of uh, clarity first and then cleverness that you make sure that you're clear Mm. before you before you're clever and sometimes you just have to make sure that you're clear um and i could see you know in some of those places i could just see a writer making that compromise and i certainly didn't think i could do it any do what she's
0: doing any better (laughs) yeah so you know right well and that ties in with i've got three um three all those here so like it's clunky although um uh, a lot of it uh when she's explaining the context it's explaining the context of the county sure
2: um yeah.
0: which which does give that justification of like if if i were writing something to you about a tradition in minnesota right <laughs> right yeah. or even i would a tradition, say here's how we do things here you
1: know, you know or even a um, tradition in like a specific town in minnesota
0: right yes exactly so some of that is there not all of it but some of it is there so that's that's one thing that covers that um another thing that like you touched on a little bit is like how would i even do it better and that connects to this this although that i have is that this book is intensely researched yes um like she traveled to this county yes to research this book yes (laughs) so i yes you go yeah <laughs> go for it uh, anything you can give me absolutely yeah, exactly. i'm not going to complain about I'd, it i'd rather have um,
1: that information even if it's delivered a little bit clunkily i'd rather have it than have you keep it out yeah. um just because some jackass like me was going to you know <laughs> complain about the clunkiness or whatever right
0: right right yeah um and then uh the the third thing that I have is related to what you said about um how she might be like reminding herself of some of these things and I think it goes maybe even deeper than that too that this is like a diary like a like a journal and so she's just writing these details as they come to mind yeah. uh a little bit and so it's like and, and j- you know the fact that we have that rule about exposition and like don't do that right means that we have the impulse to do that right (laughs) and so she's this is her impulse doing that yeah giving this exposition even though she might not need to yeah um that's a so that's fair
1: point um and it occurs to me like you know the there's an inherent danger uh in doing you know the the frame the narrative framing of like oh this is a diary which is, is that like yeah. It gives the author an excuse to go off on all kinds of tangents that, like, oh, yes. don't really work in, like, a third-person novel, but the excuse is, you know, <laughs> this is, oh, this is just a diary. a diary. It has random stuff in it. And, look, excuse me, um, for that, there's, like, very, like, it, it feels like, the, the narrative to me feels like, for the most part, very authentically, like, someone, you know, writing this thing down at the end of her life, but... There's actually very little where it feels like it's that, like, digressive, you know, without actually tying back in to mm. the main narrative somehow. So, like, yeah. in other words, the even if it's, I do have any complaints, the things I'm complaining
0: about are very minor, you know. Oh, yeah. Extremely minor. Yeah. As far as that goes, anyway. Did you have a third although um, or
1: did we get through all three of yours?
0: Th- no, those were all three okay. all those. Um, And then the thing I wanted to say, and I forget the exact segue that tied into this, um, (laughs) but it, well, it goes into a little bit of the research um, and the, the writing that Lisa C did, like she's got an afterward or an author's note and acknowledgments, And then, um, I don't, I don't know if your edition has this, a note about the writing of Snowflower and the secret fan. Yeah. Uh,
1: I believe it does. And like, some of that was actually really fascinating.
0: Oh, super fascinating. Even even the author's... You've got to read everything. Yeah. The author's note is fascinating fascinating. as well. Yes. So both of those things are going to tie into... I'm going to just jump into um, our section uh, of uh, names with Michael here. Because I think this connects. And I'm going to guess. um, And I might be wrong about some of my guesses with the methodology... And the sequence of events, we'll say, sure. uh, in the writing that Lisa C. did. So Lisa C. relates um, this story of um, papers in Nushu being discovered in the 1960s, um, which serves as kind of the inciting incident for um, New Shoe as a, um, a plot device sure. uh, within this this novel. Um, but... Uh, uh, so that's that's where you get kind of the secret fan idea that there's this fan that's that's traded back and forth among the women and it's got this secret code secret messages that they're right. they're passing which which that's it that's just a fascinating idea in itself um but then um it, it's also in this period when women were having their feet bound right right that it was very common in the 1800s and i did like figure out when she was born she was born in 1822 sure. um lily was uh which means when she lived until 82 84 something, something like, like that. that yeah so like right after the turn of the century right. um she barely outlived queen victoria um, um i'm sorry to break this to you that
1: that is just explicitly said at the beginning
0: no what
1: yeah uh there's a page before the just the the page that's it's it's to the right of the uh, copyright page with all that stuff on it. In this novel, I have followed mm-hmm. the traditional Chinese style for rendering dates: the third year of Emperor Daoguang's reign when Lily was oh, born in it. 1823. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I didn't
0: even look at that. Um, <laughs> well,
1: good work, you did it. You did it the hard way, which feels, I did it myself. Pretty on brand, Mister. I, uh, I, I, copy
0: all of j alfred (laughs) proofrock hey i'm like a toddler i do it myself (laughs) um not that i have two of those running around um (laughs) anyway um so yes okay so there so that this period of time when uh women's feet were bound yes um she introduces herself as lily that's this character's name and Um, She does say it explicitly at some point too. yes, uh, page 13 in my edition, um, where I I don't know if it's it's described this way anywhere else, but the third paragraph in, soon enough we heard the sound of four pairs of lily feet come quietly up the stairs. And lily feet are bound feet. Um, That's a term for it. So lily is the one who embodies this. Image of the woman with bound feet. Sure. Um, that's that's so that here here's here's the sequence of events that I'm uh, envisioning here that Lisa C did. She's got the fan. She's got this idea of this secret writing. That's really cool. Uh, uh, and these these women with bound feet. Okay. So the character is the the Lily footed woman. Lily right. uh, is is this woman. But what about Snowflower? I think Snowflower came last. Uh, I think the name uh, for Snowflower came much later because. Um, in her note on, um, uh, this, uh, the writing of, of the novel, um, note about the writing of Snowflower and the Secret Fan. Yes. Um, she talks about how halfway through writing the book, she was in a coma. Sure. She got into an accident and was in a coma. And like, then part of the novel, like a big part of the novel came to life in her experience after that, noticing who cared about her that was surprising and who didn't care about her that was surprising sure. that uh, she didn't get the, the, the love and support that she, ex- she needed from those she expected to get it from. She got it elsewhere. So um, that sort of complicated grief process there um, is tied in here with, I think the identity of snow flower, because a snow flower is a white flower sure. and white Uh, is in Chinese culture a symbol of death. And so Snowflower is one who is is going to die and symbolizes all that grief um, uh, and guilt for Lily as well. So, you know, it might have been uh, on the table for a while, but I think it was... I think the name Snowflower for the author was solidified much later. I might be totally off on this. It might have been totally the opposite direction, but that's my impression uh, well, this is, of this, this is that, uh, based on my interpretation of names with Michael. <laughs> you did it
1: in, in the wrong order, but this is that good Michael and Ethan bingo, uh, bingo card space of claims not to try to read the author's mind, spends 10 minutes trying to read the author's mind. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs>
1: exactly yes we re- we really need to make these bingo cards you did you, you sent me a mock-up of one that was very good
0: i did i think it, i did it was a partial one anyway yeah it
1: had one or two there were one or yeah. two things i wanted to add and i don't remember what they
0: were but yeah yeah
1: we'll work on those oh, and was just those a quick little to the merch store that i think still exists
0: right it's out there somewhere <laughs> yes so that's that's like my my conceptual thought behind this yeah. um and that uh that that guilt and grief that's at the center of this book which which does itself come in unexpected ways you know as a western reader in the 21st century reading this novel and knowing it's about foot binding you expect to just hear about the horrors of foot binding right. and how this is just a horrible thing and how bad the the women were treated and stuff but Lily doesn't react to the foot binding that way. Yeah. Like, yes, it was painful. Yes, it was awful. But she's also like, there was a purpose behind it, and I accept the purpose.
1: Yeah. For yeah. it. Yeah.
0: Yep. That's, that's. And that's. Very true. And I think that's that's enriching to the novel that that it's not just demonizing this practice outright. Yeah, and this is this is something I I kind of thought I'd say for the next
1: episode, but since you've you've given okay. me this. Uh, <laughs> You thrown the door wide open for me. Um, is yep. that like a thought I had while reading, especially the first sections, the first you know few few sections of this novel? Was um, we talked a lot about, especially in um, most recently in um, our big book, "I Am a Cat," um, mm. as well as back on on the uh, "Lost in the Cosmos" episode, and I think it's come up in some intervening episodes. Just this idea of how individualistic Western culture is. Um, oh sure. And, you know, we, we talked about charting I am a cat on on to sort of a a time period where there's that that friction, that uh that um tension almost between a culture that that was once much more communal, that's become westernized and as a result has become much more individualistic and in, at least in some ways. Mm. Um, and the one thought I had while reading this book, probably partly because I, I read it, you know, shortly after having finished I Am a Cat Again, um, this, this book, uh, like the first sections of this book, if you wanted, if someone were to ask the question of like, okay, what's a good example of like a culture that's the opposite of that? Like a culture where, hmm. that, where individualism is not the, the most valued thing um and obviously it's fiction but certainly as like a a thought experiment you know um if nothing else like the first sections of this novel would be would be one place i think i might point someone to like uh it's it's so clearly and and you know again most of the exposition as far as this goes is like brilliantly done laying out Mm -hmm. a culture in which it's it's whatever the opposite of individualism is like it's um this she she lays out so so skillfully this like web of connections where any action you take or even like feelings that you have or attitudes that you have that um you don't necessarily get to just do things or have those feelings you have to regulate it within this like web of things where if you know (laughs) if something really extreme you know were to happen like like if lily had run away from home or something it wouldn't just be like yeah. her starting over in another city it would be a affecting all of these people around her in this in this web of connections mm. and b right you know she would probably have to, she, she would have to find her way into some other community you know society in which communities seem to you know again just based on the text of the novel seem to be sort of self-contained it's like you, she'd have to yeah. run off and, and try to become someone else's daughter and then basically be living the same thing, uh, you know, that she would have been running away from. and Or, you know, I imagine that, like, you know, that that ends up with her in crime or prostitution or, you know, something <laughs> like that. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah. And and the other thing like this this is related to your comments about footbinding. The thing that's interesting is that I think there are two very real pitfalls for someone especially mm-hmm. in our culture writing about a culture like that. And yeah. the the they're either uh, uh, demonization or idealization. Like Oh you sure. Know, there are a lot of people probably in our culture who would look at something like that, you know, people who are very Interested in the idea of community and trying to recover, you know, something older fashioned or, or at least Mm -hmm. some of the parts of something older fashioned about, about more communal living or community, community centric living, um, Mm -hmm. who would look at a culture like this and be tempted to idealize it, to say, see, this is, you know, the, the 19th century Chinese had it right, um, or, Others, you know, in our culture would probably be tempted to go the exact opposite way and say, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, look at all of the, you know, I mean, I just was spouting examples and I ended up, you know, putting Lily into prostitution. Like, you know, like like a a worse writer than Lisa C. could end up doing something like that and creating a narrative that's Mm -hmm. like, oh, thank God we don't live in a repressive culture like this. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think Lisa C. quite skillfully avoids both of those pitfalls um yeah and that she certainly you know she's she's completely unafraid to show things that are horrific or or you know Mm -hmm. troubling or whatever you want to say about about this culture um the descriptions of foot binding like made me literally squirm in my seat um oh absolutely but she's also very skillful about weaving in you know some of the things that are you know sort of the reason that this culture sustained itself like no i don't think any human cultures sustain themselves without having some parts of them that are that are um good you know good for people that or that mm. that that make people feel good mm-hmm. you know the um right so so it's like it, she really gets gets both both the good oh. and the bad and really i i think um manages to avoid a judgmental stance either in either direction Mm -hmm. which you know for Mm -hmm. i certainly for the type of novel she's writing and i think for novels in general is like your your basic job like um right you know if if you're gonna write a sermon you should just write a sermon a novel is something very different
0: exactly (laughs) yeah I, i i will say that the one thought as i was reading this and you know thinking about those two pitfalls um the the other book that i think rides the line fairly well um which is actually where i was introduced to the idea of foot binding is the good earth by pearl s okay um which uh i i remember it more or less being treated similarly in this sort of just no nonsense matter of fact like here's foot binding here it is and like barf right. but also <laughs> like here's the culture that was going right. along with it um so that's yeah I, I i don't know if lisa c read the good earth oh, I, it, it takes place around the same time i don't know if it matters um, i mean it would be interesting it's to fine you know if, <laughs> without sure
1: I mean, if if uh it would be interesting to compare them to see because you know i have to assume she probably has read it just based on sure her own interests and and you know mm-hmm. literary traditions and that she's writing in
0: prolific author right. and
1: um such yeah so you know again theoretical grad school paper would be interesting to read this novel as a response to the good earth but i don't know if sure. it was intended that way or if that would be a an actually
0: legitimate reading but it'd be a good grad paper either way yeah, exactly <laughs> it doesn't have to be intentional <laughs> for a grad student yep. <laughs> to analyze it oh <laughs> uh, and on that story. note anything any, <laughs> anything you want to say to close out this this episode no that's here uh, those are
1: all the thoughts that i had um it's <laughs> right. gonna be awkward for you next episode because i have nothing more to say about this book
0: you have nothing more to say, all right well we'll we'll figure something out for the next episode, and yes, gentle listener, we will be continuing to discuss Snowflower and the Secret fan for one more episode uh in two weeks. So stay tuned uh, read along if you didn't pause the podcast earlier. Now's your chance. you got two weeks to read the book that we've already spoiled for you uh, and give us your feedback. Uh, In the contact section of tapestryradio.org, if you put Scotch Talk in the subject line uh, in the form there, that'll help us know who you're trying to talk to and what you're talking about. Uh, Or on Twitter, we are at RoomWithScotch. On Facebook, we have the Tapestry Radio Tap House. It is a group uh, on Facebook you can request to join. We'll let you in uh, unless you adamantly uh, advocate footbinding um you know we, we we're leaving it an open question literally. but uh right now no um <laughs> we'll also uh do your homework uh we don't promise to do that homework well uh but uh hey we're condoning plagiarism here because uh it'd be really funny for you to hand in a paper that's just the two of us talking and for you to get hauled off to plagiarism jail um so go to our website, tapestyradio.org slash scotchcast. Fill out the form there close to the top of the page uh, for homework submissions. Uh, we'll do our best uh, to, to do something. Actually, you saying we'll do uh, our we'll best th- in that exact tone is really all the explanation that <laughs> is needed. <laughs> that's, that's all. <laughs> we'll do our best. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll have fun with it. Um, if you like this podcast, Michael and Nathan in a room with Scotch in case you forgot what podcast you were listening to. Um, Check out the other shows on the Tapster Radio Network, Intermission, the backstage drama podcast, Uh, Us Play Fiasco, the actual play fiasco RPG improv podcast, Freddy goes to a podcast, uh, which uh, discusses the Freddy the Pig kids' book series and Pokemon Rollout, the Pokemon Tabletop United Actual Play RPG podcast. Rate and review us and all the podcasts you love on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That really helps other people uh, get to the content that you really enjoy. Ethan, where can they find you? Uh,
1: I am on Twitter at Bjartlet. That's B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. Um, I'm on Instagram under Captain Stormfield, all one word, lowercase. Not a real captain. Um, I occasionally <laughs> post landscape shots. Uh, I haven't in a while, so it's not real exciting. Real, I'm not real exciting on Twitter either. But if you try to contact me at either yeah. of those places, I will probably get it because. You know, you know how when you haven't posted anything on Twitter in weeks, and yet you still compulsively check it three times a day to be like, "Am I famous yet?" And you're still not. Um, yeah,
0: it's got. There's got to be a name for oh, that. Oh, I'm sure there is. Neurosis. I,
1: I, I, I don't really want to learn it. <laughs>
0: But I feel it. Uh, I'm on Twitter at M G L I L I E N T H A L, and it's the same on Instagram for me. So until next time, gentle listener, just remember it's our party, and we'll cry if you make us read a chapter on foot binding. I did. You did cry. I did too.